Hi, Breakout listeners. We want you to know how grateful we are that you've helped make us number one in self-improvement, number one in education, and number seven in all podcasts. That's a lot of love from a lot of listeners. So keep tuning in for more inspiring breakout stories, and don't forget to leave us a review. We love hearing from you. When we make these moves, we pull ourselves out of networks that reinforce who we were, right? As a member of a religious community or, you know, a a parent's community, all the different things that kind of identify us. Most people would make these kind of transitions, right? They would say, oh my gosh, I can make $50,000 more a year. And of course, I'm going to move my family here and do this. And then they would go home and tell their significant other, okay, I'm going to be working hard and then I'll get back into life later. And they never did. That's Rob Cross. He's a researcher, author, and consultant who studies what makes high-performing people and organizations thrive. And in his latest research, Rob identified the small but surprising things that can get in the way of success and can take the biggest toll. On this episode, Rob discusses the micro-stress effect, those tiny stresses that hit you dozens of times a day and affect everything from your health to your goals and dreams. And Rob also shares what his research revealed about the 10% of highly successful people who are unaffected by micro-stressors. We have more ability to shape what we do and who we do it with than any time in the past, and we give it up constantly. Welcome to The Breakout, a show about smashing through life's little boxes and forging your own path. I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich. And I'm Kelly Gunther. Carrie and I are people and change experts and best friends. We've spent more than 25 years helping organizations navigate change and get the best out of their people. Come on, we know change is hard, but staying the same can even be harder. On The Breakout, we prove that you can escape expectations and best of all, we show you how. Hi, Rob. We're so happy that you're here. Let's talk about why you wrote this book and what this book is about. So large proportions of the population are burning out. We hear it all the time, burnout, burnout. And your book explains how micro stressors are part of the problem. So can you explain first, what is a micro stressor and then where does it come from and how can you recognize it? Yeah, so I actually didn't start uh, looking for the uh, microstress, to be honest with you. You know, what I was really uh, asked to do by my consortia was to look at how relationships in people's lives were having a positive impact on well-being. And so the initial design of all these interviews I was doing was focusing on what are the ways connections in your life have a positive impact on your health, a sense of purpose and meaning in your life, your growth and resilience in different ways. And yet the most fascinating thing happened, you know, literally right out of the first interview, I was talking with somebody that made a major transformation in her life at about, you know, mid-30s. She'd gone from somebody that was very sedentary to over a 10-year period, somebody that would plan vacations with her husband where they would run marathons first. And it had completely to do with how she put that activity in a group of people and built identity around it. And about midway through that interview, I I just stopped because it was like 100 miles a minute, fantastic interview. I'm thinking if I get you know, hundreds more of these. I've got a New yeah. York Times bestseller. And, and, and I just stopped and I said, well, what in the world got you in trouble? Right. I mean, brilliant woman, funny, smart, charismatic. I mean, you name it. And she just stopped and couldn't answer. You know, she just looked at me and there's a silence. And we dug into it because she's finally said, well, just life, I guess. 
And I started teasing apart, well, what does that mean? Because it wasn't the big stressors. She wasn't pointing to kind of one health scare or a major nasty boss or things like that that had derailed her. It was an accumulation of small, you know, week to week, month to month. And so we just started digging into that. And then I did that for hundreds more. You know, it became really clear that what was really crushing more conventionally successful people were not these big moments of toxic stress that we're used to thinking about. It was these small moments uh, incrementally creeping up on us. So it would take the form of, you know, being on a call and sensing misalignment with a colleague and knowing, okay, I've got to figure that out in the coming weeks before this gets out of control. And you're not quite sure how it doesn't invoke, you know, fight or flight mechanisms and cortisol isn't racing through your body and all that. It's just like, an, oh man, I got to figure this out. And it goes in the back of your brain. The very next call, you see a team member that needs to be coached for the third time. And you're going, I have to do this again. I don't want to do it. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And again, it's not fight or flight. It goes in the back of your mind along with the second one. 10 seconds later, you get a text from your child that doesn't want to brush their teeth, right? And you're looking at this going, is this a big deal? Or am I going to fight about this again? Or are we going to have dental issues? Whatever it is. And, you know, what the problem is, is none of those things in isolation are big deals, you know, and successful people were conditioned to say, you just get over each of these, right? But we're hit with 25, 30, 40 or more through the day because of all the ways we're interconnected in life and work. And it's crushing to us. Right? What we know the problem is, is it doesn't invoke the fight or flight response. So we don't even really recognize it, but our bodies are absorbing stress in the same way that would large, large scale stress. So that was the genesis of it. And then the focus really was to say, well, what forms do these stressors take? How do people deal with them? And that was the basis of the book. When you're talking about the micro stressors, I have to think about and shout out my mother who would say to me, when I, I remember this from, I don't know, as a kid, she'd say, it's not the big stress, it's the pebbles in your shoes. And those will annoy you. Like, yeah, it's just. Yeah. It's amazing how much of <laughs> this brilliant, you know, conventional wisdom we rediscover. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, you know, one of the biggest insights for me in this book that I could see with happier people is they have at least two and usually three groups they're an authentic part of outside of their profession and direct family, right? And that creates perspective in life and it makes these micro stressors in, in the perspective that they should be kept. You know, you don't get down in the weeds and everything becomes important. Well, apparently that's been around forever. <laughs> you know, you need three groups, right? to be a part of. Um, but it's, you know, obviously there's some contemporary things we're, we're pulling out of why it matters today, especially with social distancing. Part of the reason people are feeling so much stress is they've pulled themselves out of all these things that help them cope. You know yes. what I mean? As a product of that. But it is interesting to me how much we probably all, you know, rediscover what our grandparents knew. <laughs> right, right. So how do our brains then respond to micro stressors? And what does mm. that impact look like on our daily lives? Yeah, so the interesting thing, and my co-author Karen did more of the work on the neuroscience uh, behind this, but at the heart of it, we know that our brains aren't registering them, you know, these smaller moments, generally speaking. Now, we'll pick up the big things, right? And that's when we react but it's having uh, an effect on us. It accumulates on us. And the analogy she would make from several of the neuroscientists she spoke with was it's like, you know, the wind hitting a mountain, right? It's the slow kind of degradation or it's, it's children jumping on a bed. It's all fine 
until that last one gets on and, you know, the, the whole thing kind of crumbles down. What was intriguing to me was, number one, because uh, successful people, it's just what we do, we get over these things. And number mm-hmm. two, because our brain doesn't register them, in some sense, they are invisible. Like the studies are showing that this form of stress, social stress, it, you know, increases blood pressure. It has all the negative, you know, consequences of stress. One study uh, that was run by a, a Northeastern professor showed that if you have the same meal within two hours of being under this form of social stress, your body adds 104 calories to that meal. So being under the stress versus not being under the stress within two hours just metabolizes it differently. So that that doesn't sound like a lot, but you take it out over the course of a year and that can be 11 pounds mm-hmm. <laughs> that you can blame on other people, right, from causing you stress at, at this point. But So it's just a ton of things that happen that, to our bodies as a product of this that we, again, don't recognize because it doesn't hit us in that fight or flight way, right? It's just this slow accumulation that's problematic. Right. And I think that especially that weight loss, you could easily attribute it to something else. I'm getting older. I haven't worked out as much. So it's really fascinating. I was just in a stressful three-day training, and I think I gained three pounds, Rob. So there you go. (laughs) So I'll (laughs) definitely attribute it to that. So (laughs) what are some common examples of micro-stressors? We broke them into three categories. You know, as we went through all this, there's 14 of them that we could see that are systemic, right, in people's lives today. The first category had to do with what we call drains to capacity. So they're just interactions that incrementally hurt our ability to get done what we need to get done in a given day, right? And so it could take the form of misalignment uh, with peers and, and understanding that you're going to have to solve problems there. And that's really become a big issue. It could take the form of small misses, small performance misses with people you're working with. And so what I was hearing is, I went through it is it wasn't uh, a teammate that was a huge slacker that was the killer today, right? What it was is people are on so many different efforts, four, five, six teams in most places, that if you happen to own one of these initiatives with four other people and they come back to yours, let's say 95% done, right? So they're almost perfect (laughs) with what you agreed to. Just small misses always make sense, right? The boss pulled them in a different direction. Their child got sick. The problem is with the interdependence, it's four times 5% to you, right? So that means 20% for you to kind of cover the gaps that have been created. And people are stuck with this decision of, do I under deliver and, you know, cause stress for myself? Or do I work through the night and pull myself out of activities that keep me whole or irritate my family, right? In different ways. And most people do that, right? They work through the night. What I was very clear on as I went through these interviews is that people are making decisions today, not on how to excel, but on which balls to drop, you know, more often than not. And they will look for outlets. You know, everybody's doing it. Those were the things that, that kind of came at people in terms of the drain capacity. The second one was uh, emotional impact, you know, interactions that kind of hit us emotionally. And that would take the form of negative interactions, right? Maybe confrontational conversations, things like that, that we're conventionally used to thinking about. But what also surprised us was the degree to which uh, micro stress was created by interactions with people we love and care about. Right. And so people would feel a lot of stress worrying about how do I take care of my team? Or they would feel a tremendous amount of stress uh, in interactions with their child or taking care of an aging parent. So that to me 
was an eye opener with micro stress. It's impactful in different ways than disassociated stress. So it's not, you know, the, the war in the Ukraine or social justice issues or the economy. It's different than those because these things are coming at us through relationships. Secondhand stress is one of the biggest ones. We can see stress kind of flows through networks. My uh, co-author used the term of people spraying stress, you know, in, in different ways that others absorb. And uh, it has, you know, big impact. And then the third was slight interactions that just kind of uh, challenge our identity, no matter who we set out to be. And this would be the most subtle, but the, probably the most damning for people. You know, it would lead to situations where people were working really hard in some system they'd let build around them or they joined in an organization. And, you know, three, five, eight years of their lives, they're giving everything they have and they wake up one day and go, I'm not anywhere near where I wanted to be um, or who I was, you know, at a certain point. And so that would take the form of, you know, pressure to pursue performance goals, or it might take the form of uh, shifts, you know, or transitions where you're either promoted or you take another job. And what we what we don't understand a lot of times is when we make these moves, especially people that move to different geographies or companies, we pull ourselves out of networks that reinforce who we were. Right. As a member of a religious community or, you know, a, a parent's community, all the different things that kind of identify us. And that was really fascinating to me. You know, I would see that as we went through all these interviews, most people would make these kind of transitions. Right. They would say, oh, my gosh, I can make fifty thousand dollars more a year. And of course, I'm going to move my family here and do this. And then they would go home and tell their significant other, OK, you're not going to see me for a year, <laughs> whatever it is. Right. I'm going to be working hard and then I'll get back into life later. And they never did. You know, they became smaller versions of themselves. What was fascinating to me is my what I call my 10 percenters, you know, the people that just kind of uh, were doing well on both fronts, performance and, and well-being, is they would do it differently. They would go into those transitions and say, this is an ideal time to shape everybody else's expectations versus me morphing to theirs. And it's a perfect time to become a larger version of myself. I love what he talks about the micro stress because when you really think about there's sometimes only one or two giant things that might happen to you a death, a marriage. You know what I mean? Like these are what people mm -hmm. think oh, it's so stressful. You're moving or someone passed or you're getting married or something. But why are we so stressed throughout the day? And when I think of what Kelly and I kind of decompress with and when we talk about things, it's son of a bitch, I can't believe that person did deliver on this. Or I have to follow up mm -hmm. 17 times. It's like, that does cause me a lot of stress. Like someone sends you an email out of the blue that you just weren't prepared for. And then it kind of like upsets your whole day. And you really need to focus on dealing with it quickly, not letting it get to you and not letting it kind of spill out. Like, so I'm very appreciative of Rob because he gives me this language to think about it and how to manage through it. And I was able to talk to people in those relationships. I talked to my husband, I talked to Kelly, and then within you know an hour, it was kind of resolved. But if I didn't do that, if I didn't talk to people, I think it would have really upset my days. My thanks to Rob too for teaching us to compartmentalize and being able to identify our feelings and address them in a way that allows for us to move about our lives and leave the shit behind. Our podcast is about helping people break out of expectations. You mentioned about the stress of identity and the relationships. Why do micro stressors kind of keep people from making change? 
I think it's a fascinating question. One of the you know big conclusion points I have is that we have more ability to shape what we do and who we do it with than any time in the past, and we give it up constantly, right? And you have to be what I would see, you know, in terms of the way that I look at the world, it's, it's through the connections and the relationships that most organizations are going into all these programs that I'm a part of. And they're saying we need enterprise leaders. We need people that are expansive in their thinking. And the funny thing to me is they'll say, Rob, can you do a trust building workshop? Like, they don't trust each other, right? <laughs> you know, and, and we've done a lot of work on trust and there are specific things and times for it. But 99% of the time, I immediately go back and say, how do you know they're just not so flat out overwhelmed? you know, with all the demands that there's no space, right, to even think, let alone initiate some of these connections that you want. And usually that's the case, you know. And so for me, in terms of why people get stuck, it's the the accumulation of all the relationships and interactions we have. And I call it collaborative overload. In his research on collaboration overload, Rob looked at how the trend towards constant teamwork in the workplace has left people exhausted and overwhelmed. You know, it's a product of all of the trends that we've been in for 15 years or so, right? All the consulting firms have come in and they've said, you you know, you need to be matrix, de-layered, agile, one firm, <laughs> right? And you just throw, what, what is that, what do that means to the average person in terms of how much time they're spending on email meetings, video calls, instant messaging, team collaborative spaces, the gratitude application. The problem is all of it sounds good in theory, but nobody's actually applying analytics to see what are we doing, you know, to these people. <laughs> Early before the pandemic, People would complain to me and they say, Rob, I've got eight one hour meetings. I can't get anything done, right? I'm exhausted <laughs> by the end of the day. And then through the pandemic, somebody came up with a great idea in some company somewhere that let's, let's go to 30 minute meetings or 25 minute meetings. And so now we've got 16, 30 minute yeah. meetings, you know, in our calendars <laughs> and people are twice as exhausted. So I think we have to be a lot more intentional about the effect of the interactions and that's my message with the microstress, right? We know in general that the negative interactions in people's lives have three to five times the impact of the positive. So if you are just absorbing stress each day and not thinking about how do I shift the context I've let build around me, you know, because the most people are saying, okay, I'm going to do meditation, mindfulness, gratitude, and, and yoga, right? And all those things are fantastic, but they're just letting you persist in the system that you've let build. If you go in and say, well, how do I shape some of these negatives and that has three to five times the impact of adding a positive, then that's really worth doing. Got a great story from my daughter. So my, um, my beautiful 23-year-old, you know, beautiful woman, like the light of my life, just going into med school, um, oh. it just, you know, a riot to me, teaches me how to think about and live my life more intentionally. Great sense of humor. She calls me baldy all the time. And just, you know, for the audience that can't see me, I have, I'm hair challenged, shall we I say. I was going to say, you have a beautiful yeah. head of hair, Rob. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, she was a top-end tennis player going through high school. I knew nothing about tennis. I just was helping her kind of pursue what she wanted to do. But what that meant a lot of times is we would be at these tournaments and she would just rely on me. And she just got used to anytime anything was going wrong, she'd say, Baldy, this is happening, or Baldy this, Baldy that, you know. <laughs> and the problem is that pattern persisted to her being 22, 23, 24 years old, right? And I'd get these texts constantly. And we discovered, you know, one night over, over a glass of wine that she doesn't even think about them, right? It's a five-second knee-jerk reaction that's built into what we've just fallen into, right, over a decade or more. But I worry about it for three, four hours, right? 
<laughs> I get these things. I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. she can be okay. And it's, you know, it's in the back of my, so I, you know, we were laughing about it and I said, well, Rach, if it doesn't matter to you, don't pass it on because you're killing me. <laughs> and she doesn't, right? It doesn't mean anything is affecting the relationship, right? If anything, the relationship's stronger, but we figured out an interaction that was creating a micro stress that didn't matter that we could adapt. And it's had a huge impact on my life. You know, I literally, you know, weeks of time where I don't think about or worry about her. And when she needs something that's really serious, I'm on it in a heartbeat. So to me, that's the kind of thing people need to be looking for, right? It's not an interaction. It's the whole thing we're going to get upset about. And I find if you pivot it and say, well, what are the interactions that we can adapt like that? You start to see a sea of possibilities to kind of shape how we're experiencing things. I know Kelly has zero micro stressors, right, Kelly? Did you just do? <laughs> Kelly's like, I don't know why I'm on this podcast because I have <laughs> ne- zero. Carrie causes me no stress, like nothing, Kel, right? No, none whatsoever. I can't identify I with any you. of yeah. what you're just talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Total outlier. Yeah, complete outlier. Um, I know, Rob, you talked about for the book, you interviewed high achievers, of which you mentioned a little bit, uh, the 10 percenters. What can you tell us about how they handle micro stress? Are there takeaways for those of us who do struggle with with micro stress? Yeah, other people, not you. Right. Right. Not, that, me, yeah, yeah. not me. Not me. Your friend. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So what was interesting to me is, as we went through these interviews is I'd be calling and all these people were conventionally successful from great firms. Right. Split between men and women as we were going. And every single interview, the first 10 minutes, life was rainbows and lollipops. Right. You just these people had it all. Kids are doing great. I'm doing great. This and that. And then about 90 percent of them started the downward spiral around minute 10. You get to minute 30 and the cracks are coming in. Minute 60, you're like, oh, man, this is a lot. And, you know, 75, some people were choking up. And it's, a, you know, it's a lot because of the the conditions we have allowed ourselves to go into professionally and personally, right? The obligations, the commitments, the expectations that we allow to be put on us in different ways. But about 10% never went there. So that's where I, where I got that 10% idea. About 10% were kind of doing well, you know, performance-wise, but somehow they were living a richer life in different ways. And there are kind of two ideas that were uber principles uh, to me. One is it was never the big things that was making the 10 percenters happy. They may be doing some big things, hiking the Himalayas, whatever it is, but that wasn't what was creating the happiness. What was creating the happiness was that they tended to live the small moments more authentically in connection with others. Right. And by doing that, they tended to have a different perspective in life, a different base. They tended to attract other higher performers around them. There's a lot of upward spirals uh, that came with that. So I'll give you one example from the interviews was a software company, a very well-known company that she worked for. She was kind of mid-40s, something like that, came out of Stanford. She was running their venture fund and was the chief strategy officer. So wildly successful, right, individual. And, you know, when I was interviewing her, she said, Rob, I made a huge mistake the first 20 years of my life by allowing running and what it meant to me. She'd been a runner in in Mm. college. And by allowing running and what it meant to be to be defined by society, right, And, and what that meant to her, 
is uh, over 20 years, you know, going into her 40s, if she didn't get a personal best time on the races that she was doing every single year, it was a bad year for running, right? And you know that that's a little bit ludicrous at some point, right? But the problem was she let that benchmark start dictating how she was spending her time, right? So every year she would be getting up earlier, she'd be stretching more yoga, weight training, whatever it was, right, to not go quietly. And she woke up one day and realized that was pulling her out of all the relationships that could actually create a better life for her. And she backed away and said, you know, what I really want to be doing is uh, running with my daughter, her best friend and a parent. So they started running a little bit and it evolved into this full community of parents and children that would run to be healthy, right? And she said she'd never enjoyed running more in her life. You know, what you see what she was doing is she took the same activity, right? The same, actually less amount of time <laughs> than she was doing before, but she was doing that activity in a way that pulled her into authentic connections with two different groups, right? Her, her family and her community. You know, all of us have these opportunities to pivot what we're doing personally or professionally in a ways like that that will pull us, you know, into a little bit more meaningful interaction and small moments. And then the second thing was that they, they always had at least two and usually three groups they were an authentic part of uh, outside of their profession. And so, when, you know, the, one of my stories there is a life science executive, right? And she was describing to me a story of how she had moved into um, becoming, a, uh, her, her story was around running too, and, and how she moved into becoming a marathon runner. Becoming a runner gave her a sense of identity that helped her push back on work. And so those last five emails suddenly didn't matter as much, right? Because she, this was who she was. She was a runner and a life science executive. But what she really said, it was the people that she fell into in the running that that had the real huge ability to create dimensionality in her life. So she wasn't just hanging around with life science executives. It was an auto mechanic, a, a software engineer, you know, and all these interactions created authentic friendships, but also very different perspective. You know, when she would grumble about something that the auto mechanic would say, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> look at life a little bit differently. That that was what, you know, when I say dimensionality or really having being authentically connected to a group, it just creates perspective, right? That we tend to lose. The stories that ended really poorly were where it was just profession and direct family, right? People had kind of given up on everything else out there. So those are the two ideas, right? Live the small moments well in connection with other, have at least two and usually three groups outside of your profession that you're an authentic part of. Amazing. And, and one of the things that you mentioned, and thank you for sharing that, is resilience. And you mentioned this earlier, that resilience is in relationships around us. And so I wonder if how interactions with our networks build up that resilience yeah, so if you, you know, ask hundreds of people um, about a setback in their lives and not what they did, right? That's the typical thing. Well, how'd you get through, right? And then you learn, oh, they had grit, fortitude, toughness. But you ask them, how did they fall back on others, right? And you hear all sorts of stories. And if you do that, you hear seven really predictable benefits we get from other people if we have built the connections in our lives. We get empathy, certainly. Um, we get perspective to see, okay, in the context of everything going on, maybe not making managing directors not big a deal, right? Probably make an next year and everything else is going well. Uh, we see a path forward. I mean, people that have been in similar situations professionally or personally and can help us think about how do you work through this. 
uh, we get humor. You know, for me, that's the big thing. I find if I can just get some small interactions that help me laugh at the absurdity of things, um, I'm good day to day, right? Let alone the, the bigger setbacks. And so what we found in here is that the people that had those relationships and knew how to turn to them, they just, they weather the storms better. They don't feel the day-to-day setbacks and the bigger, you know, setbacks they, they work through a lot more fluidly if you've built the connections. Amazing. Final question for you, Rob. You have one minute with someone who is stuck and needs to get unstuck. What do you tell them? So the the most effective thing we've seen for starting to get people's attention, it's a, it's a table we have in chapter five of the book. I use this all the time with audiences. The, the left uh, column of the table lists out the 14 micro stresses, and then each row across the top is consistent sources of micro stress, right? Like, like teammates, boss, loved ones, etc. So what I do is I have people go through that three times. You know, the first pass through was saying, put an X in three to four cells where the interactions are creating micro stresses that are systemic enough that you can do something about it, right? Then I have them go through it a second time and I say, now I want you to go through and say, where are you unnecessarily causing stress? For others, you know, and then they're like, "Ooh, I hadn't thought about that." And that's kind of what it is, right? Is you know, we found in there that the stress that we create unnecessarily inevitably comes back to us in different forms, and so it's you know, you lean on that you know, close employee one time too many, and they start backing away because they're overwhelmed, and suddenly you're working harder, and you don't even see how. So that was the second idea: say, you know, we know the less you create unnecessarily, the less you tend to experience. And then the third pass through this grid is to say, where do you just need to rise above? Right? Where have you gotten down in the weeds too much? And really, that was the magic of my 10 percenters as I went through here and the real um, importance of having at least two and usually three groups outside of your profession. Right? It just keeps you at a little bit of a different plane in terms of what, uh, what really matters. It's fascinating. And we're all about taking action. And so that's a really great action step give someone the ability to really do an inventory. And I love that the less you create, the less you experience. It gives someone that sense of of purpose and direction where they may feel a bit overwhelmed. Thank you so much, Rob. Great. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Rob. It, everything was beautiful, except, of course, that I caused stress for other people. <laughs> it was all going well until It then, was yeah. really, it was so beautiful. And no, it was so beautiful. And I love what you're putting out there. And I hope everyone picks it up and learns from it. Thank you, too. I appreciate it. That is fascinating. How much is sort of within your control is just kind of being aware, the self-awareness component. Yes. And then the less you create, the less you experience. And I never really think about that. I create stress for people, but I know I do. I know I, I know I do. You get what you give, and but that also, it works both ways. We talk all the time about breaking expectations and how do you break out? You have to have a network. And we've heard that so many times, but it's, it's hard. And so when you have those folks that like Kelly and I can be authentic and I'm going to see Kelly this weekend and I just know, like, we'll just have such a great time because we just get mm-hmm. to be like exactly who we are. We just get right. to be our stupid selves and it's awesome. And so I wish that for everyone because it is a much easier way and it's great to have those friendships. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks, Kelly, for being a great friend. <laughs> Sound like assholes. <laughs> I really mean it though. Thank you, Kelly. I love you. I know I love you too. That was our conversation with Rob Cross, author of The Micro Stress Effect. And this is The Breakout, 
from Abracci Group. At Abracci Group, we love helping companies get the most out of their talent. If you're looking to improve yourself and your team, connect with us at abracigroup.com. On The Breakout, we love reading your reviews. If this episode got you thinking, give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. Reviewing is simple. Just click write a review and hit save. It helps us reach more people who might just need these stories. And don't forget to subscribe to The Breakout so you never miss a new episode. And make sure you're following us on Instagram at The Breakout Pod. I'm Kelly Gunther. And I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich. See you next time.